All right, when we left off last week, I wanted to finish a couple thoughts that I had. And you know that was the lesson where David is now bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. Uh, And the first part of that trip, the first time he did it, it was met with disaster. And even though David was well-intentioned, he was well-intentioned, he had not gone back and studied what God had directed about the movement of the Ark of the Covenant. And this, is, this becomes critical become, because it ties into everything that I've been teaching you and speaking to you about recognizing the holiness and sovereignty of God. Um, and, you know, when you look at the prayer, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and you see what Jesus said about in the Lord's Prayer, about how we are to pray to God the Father, as Jesus himself prayed. And you read that prayer, it covers all of the needs of, the, of our human existence. But pretty much one-third of that prayer, the opening stanzas say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, you haven't made a single personal request. It's all about acknowledging the holiness, the greatness, the sovereignty of God. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to acknowledge and worship and bow and come into his presence in a holy, sovereign way. And so when you recognize that Jesus himself said this to God, that that, that God the Father, then you recognize how much more is our responsibility as human beings. And so you see this here. God laid it out when he gave the Jewish people instructions on how to make the Ark of the Covenant. And you know, when you read those those lessons in uh, Exodus, which we've covered here last year, when you read those lessons, it was so specifically laid out about the size of the box and about the cherub on each side and about the gold covering on the box and where God says, I will come and meet you and be with you on the top of the atonement cover of that box. That's where I will be. Well, you recognize that this means that this is where God has said for the first time in the history of the world that he is abiding in this world with this group of people. That's what separated the Jewish people from all other people. He had made them their own, his own. And so here it is. The Ark of the Covenant represents God himself. Now, I believe that there's a reason why we can't find the Ark of the Covenant. All right? Despite all those movies out there and those National Geographic specials. All right. I believe that the reason for that is that the time of the Ark of the Covenant has passed, and now Jesus Christ has basically replaced the Ark of the Covenant. That is the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus Christ. Now, there was Jesus was not here at the time that the Ark was present. God is teaching them about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to be approaching the Ark of the Covenant. And all those rules, all those regulations about only one time in the year could the high priest at the Holy of Holies come in after he sanctifies himself for 24 hours. And you see so many ritualistic aspects of bowing and, com- and, and completing a ritual washing before you come in. And finally you walk in, the high priest walks in before the Ark of the Covenant on the high holy days and does this, this sacrifice. Because God was teaching us what it means to come to God. This is a privilege. 
And so this is all about worship today. That's what this lesson's going to be about, about worship and approaching God the way he wants us to approach him. And so, so many of us have a careless, reckless attitude uh, about worship. You know, we come in and we come in to, to, to church or wherever you're going to worship, and we don't, we don't really elevate God in the, in the sovereignty that he's due. You need to really recognize that when you're doing this, when you're coming before God, whether it's prayer or or whether it's reading scripture, that you need to be in a communion, a state of understanding of the greatness of God, that he has allowed you to have a relationship with him and he created the entire universe. Does that blow your mind? That, that, that the, the, the person who created the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you. I'm flabbergasted when I feel that, when I, when I recognize that. And you know, all it does is just humble me. And so here it is. I've given instructions to the Jewish people. You are to carry the Ark of the Covenant only by Levites, by the priests. They are to carry it on their shoulder. I have put po- poles attached to the Ark of the Covenant so that the, the Ark can be lifted on the, on the shoulders of the priests. And no other way can it be carried. And no one one else is to touch the ark. No one is to open the, the ark. All of this is under the sovereignty uh, and holiness of God. Those are the rules. Well, guess what? David's a great man. He will be in the lineage of David, but he didn't follow the rules. And just like the pagan Philistines suffered death when they didn't follow the rules as it related to the ark, even when the ark came into Israel uh, and that town where, where it first resided, uh, 70 people died, even though they were Jews. Uh, they died because they opened the doors of the ark to see what was inside, to see if the Ten Commandments were inside. And now here's David, king, who has honored God in everything he did, but recklessly did not read and pay attention or ask for advice about how the ark was to be brought back into Jerusalem. He brings it back on a cart. And so you know the story. As he brings it back into a cart, the cart uh, stumbles uh, and begins to fall. The ark begins to tip. The ark is going to fall over. And a man named Uzzah, uh, and we don't know anything about this man other than David chose him uh, to, to have this responsible position, which leads me to believe that he was a good man. There's nothing, no reason to think that he was not a good man. Uh, but as it's tipping over, he reaches up his hand to keep the ark from falling. And what happens? He is struck dead. He is struck dead. Not a, 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 not a pleasant picture, all right? It's a picture that disturbed me a lot growing up. God, how could you do this? Lord, well, where is your justice, God? He was only trying to keep the ark from falling over. Why did, why did he have to die? Why was that? I mean, that's the natural thing that we ask as human beings, not recognizing, not understanding the holiness of God. You can't do your own thing when God tells you what to do. You wonder why people suffer when they violate God's will? It was very clear how God wanted that ark carried. And so here's the question now. Why was Uzzah 
killed. Why did God do that in that way? Even though David was trying to do something right, bring the ark into Jerusalem, trying to honor God. What was, what was the lesson there? What was the lesson? Well, first of all, it's clear that God was setting new ground rules, new ground rules, ushering in a new king. Uh, and God was demanding a new state of reverence. Let's understand this. Saul had been king before, and you saw what happened. Saul, Saul did not revere God, did not follow God the way he should have when he was anointed king. And so God was wiping the slate clean and saying, there's a new age, a new day, and this is the kind of reverence that I demand. And that's a lesson for us. Um, also, God wanted his children to be different from the world, not like the Philistines. Here's the point. God says to us, I'm asking you to be different. I'm looking for a peculiar people. Uh, and meaning by that, I'm looking for people who will live in a different way from the world. And one of the ways that that, that takes place is for you to have a reverence for who I am. All right, a reverence for who I am. And God wanted his kingdom to be established on his word. Let me repeat that. God wanted his kingdom to be established on his word. David did not do that. Even though David was a hero, a great warrior, lifted up by the people, uh, blessed by God, but in this case, he did not do it. He did not follow God's word. And the lesson here for us is even good, righteous, holy people can make mistakes. And when they make mistakes, God will correct it. All right? God will correct it. Uh, and so he wanted his kingdom established on his word. What a lesson that is for us even today, that as we follow God, as we want to be uh, his men, as we want to lead godly lives, the only way we can do that is if we keep our lives in the word. You want to understand what God has in mind for you? Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Go to Bible studies. Fill your life with the word and then pray. And as you pray, God will amplify the word and speak into your heart. Also, God was, was teaching that the relationship between blessing and reverence was critical. Understand what I just said. There is a relationship between blessing and reverence. If you want to receive the blessing of God, then you must revere God. Uh, and the problem, I think, today is that in so many places, in so many churches, I don't see the reverence for God anymore. It's almost as if you go to church for an entertainment experience. Really. You watch television and you see these places. You, I have to ask you, and this is between you and God. I mean, are you saying, do you see the reverence for God in a lot of these, these uh, programs? even as they say that they're godly people? Are you seeing the reverence for God? Because I'm seeing that just generally, culturally, even God's people, I don't see a reverence for it anymore. I really don't. Uh, and, and honestly, 
You have to come to God on your knees. And so here's what God's saying. You want to be blessed? You want to understand that relationship of blessings in your life? Then you need to understand what reverence is about. Uh, and, and David left the ark at the home of Obed-Edom. Uh, and he left him there because he was so shaken by the death of Uzzah. Uh, and God greatly blessed that house. In those three or four months that that ark was left in the, in the home of Obed-Edom, God blessed them greatly. And that's what the Bible tells us. Now, we don't know what that means, but it means that in every sense that the world would have understood, great blessings flowed into that house. Why? Because those people were revering God, the holiness of God. They were taking care of God's uh, ark. And as they did that, as you do that in your life, God pours blessings into your life. Uh, now, the success of the second attempt to be transport to transport the ark, and you know that the second attempt takes place, and now David goes back and studies. He sees that the Levites have to carry the ark, and so he goes even further. Every six steps that they take, now they stop and have a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. Can you imagine uh, that procession now to coming in the seven or eight miles that they had to travel to bring this ark back into Jerusalem? Every stick step stopping and, and, and worshiping God. You see, it was not about getting the ark into Jerusalem. It was about getting their hearts to where their, ar- their hearts needed to be to understand the ark was what it was about, the relationship of the ark to their hearts. Not where it finally would wind up. Uh, and so David now is doing this, and as he's doing this and bringing the ark in, we know that he is, he is effectively worshiping God in abandon. In abandon, he's put on linen cloaks, taken off his royal garb. He is dressed as a priest. And you know that David was not just the, the king, but clearly David was a great prophet. Uh, and as a prophet, he was a spiritual priest in the lineage of Jesus. Uh, and so here he is uh, dancing before the ark uh, in uh, incredible worship as the ark is being transported in. Uh, and so you see this. Uh, and, and as you see this, worship paves the way for blessing. You want blessings in your life? You want to be where God wants you to be? Worship comes first. As, as we pray, uh, as we study, that whole act of praying and studying uh, all becomes an act of worship to God as you open up your hearts. And as God sees that and seeing you honor his sovereignty and greatness, then he blesses. And so worshiping with abandon, as David did here, uh, is an intimate experience, an absolute intimate experience. Uh, and exactly how God wants us to treat him. This is how God is looking for us to establish our relationship with him. I want you to turn, if you would, as I, I try to make this point about worship, turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet 
and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's understand how significant this is. From my theological studies, that pint of perfume was worth, in many ways, uh, a year's salary. Okay? This was an incredibly valuable uh, artifact. And she takes the entire contents, the entire pint, and pours it all out on Jesus. She doesn't hold back. She doesn't say, you only need one-third of this, Jesus. All right? Let me keep the rest of this for myself because this is expensive. But she's all in. She's all in. It's all yours, God. I bow before you. I'm before the creator of the universe. And so I give you this, the most valuable thing that I have. I give it to you to acknowledge you and to worship you. This is an act of worship. Make no mistake about it. All right? Now, let's see what happens. Verse 4, but one of his disciples, Jesus Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. And that's what you see. You see that Satan does not want you to, to worship this way. He doesn't want to see God honored. He doesn't want to see you have that kind of relationship with God. And so he objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Stop. Do you honestly think that Judas was concerned about the poor people? Do you really think Judas was concerned about the poor people? The only thing Judas was concerned about there was that this, this perfume was worth a year's uh, income, and if she had sold it and given it to Jesus, it probably was more money he could have stolen. All right? Because we know that Judas was the treasurer. Uh, and every indication was that he adopted a lot of those, that money for himself, uh, even as he betrayed Jesus. So you see this, you see Satan uh, inspiring Judas here to question worship itself. This is important. This is important uh, because that's what, in, what was involved here with the ark, questioning worship itself. Continuing on, verse 6, and again, this is John writing this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Isn't that great aside from the, the John, the apostle, telling you about what he thought of Judas? Of course, remember, he's writing this about 40 years after the fact. He didn't realize it at the time, but afterwards, looking back retrospectively, he saw this, and now he's, he's, he's giving you an inside view as to what was going on. Verse 7, this is Jesus now. Listen to the words of Jesus. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. What poignant words. You will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Meaning, God demands your complete and total worship and obedience. All right? So this is for those people who go out and have developed a humanistic uh, theology that say that, well, you know, I don't think I necessarily have to go to church. I don't buy the fact 
that you have to be there on Sunday, that there's a specific religious experience that you need to have, or you need to be affiliated with a church or any specific denomination. Instead, I want to raise all human beings. There's a lot of poor people in the world, and I believe that when I take care of the poor people in the world, God sees that and honors that. Wrong. Read the Bible. The poor you shall always have. Understand this. I come first. We're not used to hearing this. All right? I mean, really, as I'm speaking this right now, my heart is shaking as I understand the magnificence of who God is. And this is the creator of the universe speaking to you right now. And Jesus is there, and he's saying it. This experience, this woman who was giving everything that she had, the most valuable thing that, she's ha- that she had, and emptying it on me, uh, in anticipation of my burial, worshiping the fact that I will give my life for this world, she is honoring me and honoring God. And there's nothing more important than that. Nothing. Nothing. So if you leave here today, if there's one thing that I want you to remember, I want you to remember the importance of this sovereignty and holiness of God, what he looks for. And so here's the thing. You want to be blessed. You want to have a life where God comes into your life and blesses you and gives you the things that you need. You have to understand that it all begins with worship and acknowledging him. Uh, And and, uh, here it is. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, does this mean, does this mean, that Jesus is saying we don't help the poor. Don't go there. You don't take that from that verse. You don't help the poor. Of course you help the poor. You help all the unfortunates. You help anybody that that God brings in your way that you see have a need. But you don't elevate that over God himself. God comes first. That's what this lesson was about the Ark of the Covenant. God comes first. Even if you're king, God comes first. And that's what we have to pray for this nation, that the leaders of this nation come to recognize that God comes first. Because until the leaders of this nation bow in submission to God, this nation is going to be screwed up. All right? There's no other way to phrase it, folks. Unless you bow to God, unless our leaders bow to God, we're not headed for good times. It's when we bow in submission to God, and you see that God did it with David. So if he did it to David, how much more are we? How much more are we? Um, and, and here's the, the next part of this, as you see it, is as you get involved in worship, there will always be critics. You understand? There will always be people that don't share the wisdom of God, don't share the joy of God. And you see it here, first of all, with Judas. Oh, this should have been sold. You're a loser. You don't understand what things are about. This is meaningless what you're doing. Your efforts are meaningless. That's exactly what God would want you to say, what what Satan would want you to say, that, that your efforts to worship God are meaningless. Well, the same thing happened to David as he's bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. David's wife did not share in his joy. She despised him in her heart as he did this. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm emphasizing this because it's part of the point I want to make about worship. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. 
As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, and this is the second time now, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, what does that mean? What it means is that she did not share the same understanding of worship that David did. She did not understand the kingdom of God the way David is. And why does that occur? Because he was unequally yoked. Look, I used to hear this all the time as a kid growing up in a minister's house. And you know what? I resented hearing it. All right? My, my father would constantly preach about being unequally yoked. And I interpret that to mean, well, that meant that all the fun girls were out. <laughs> there you go again. Can't have fun. Can't go for those girls that are out there wanting to have a good time because those are all unequally yoked. Let me, let me phrase it to you so you got it clearly. When God speaks about unequally yoked, he's not talking about people that don't want to have fun. He's talking about people that don't have the same perspective that you have about God. All right? I don't care where they are. I don't care in which denomination they are, where they are in the world, what's their economic status. The question is, do they share your same view of God? Do they understand how God is to be worshipped and to be honored? And if they do, then you're young, you marry them. And when you're old, you hold on to them. Okay? And you tell your grandchildren, even though it's too late for us to do that with our children, for most of us, but you tell your grandchildren the same thing. And those of you who are going to get married for the second or third time, or some of us maybe the fourth time, all right, finally learn this lesson well. Okay? Learn this lesson well. I want you to think of David worshiping God, and his wife is upstairs in the window. You loser. I hate you. Look at you. All right? What kind of relationship is that? How can you have a relationship with a woman that does that? You understand? And it's because they are unequally yoked. Whoa, God is really speaking to us on this issue, really, in, in terms of understanding worship and what it's about. This is a big deal. Uh, and, 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 I, and I want you to see uh, the importance of this, that David did not allow her spirit to dampen his worship. I give him a lot of credit. Because most guys who would have a wife that would do that would do what? Oh, folk, you're right. I know. You're right. You're right. All right, I'll tone it down. I'll tone it down. I know I'm out there. I'm a little bit too much. I'm out there dancing in front of I know I shouldn't have to be that enthusiastic. All right, I went a little bit over the top. You happy? Yeah, I'm happy now. Okay? They accede to the wife. Instead, here, he refuses to accede. He refuses to accede because he recognizes his responsibility is to God first, not to his family. To God first. Don't let people in your family bring you down or, or, or make you change your devotion to God or change your worship. God comes first. That's the whole nature of this lesson today. God comes first. I want you to turn to Psalm 30, verse 11. And so now you're going to see this psalm as we talk about it. When you see the psalms point to a specific factual reference. 
And here you're going to see it. A specific factual reference. Psalm 30, verse 11. The Psalm of David. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Wow. You understand that? You see God, you know, David speaking to God about how in this form of worship, as he danced before the ark, that, that he acknowledged the greatness of God and that God turned his sadness because David was sad. He wanted the ark to come in the first time. He thought he was doing the right thing. And yet a man died because he was reckless and didn't listen to God. He was disturbed about that. A months go by before he went back out to bring the ark back again. He was filled with trepidation. And yet you see when he went back and he did it the right way, God affirmed him, lifted him up, and blessed him mightily. Uh, and as he did that, now David is saying this in his prayer in this psalm. And so this is an important lesson for us as we see how, how God wants us to act. Uh, and, it's so, and it's so critical. And so there are incredible lessons to be learned here as we study what God has for us in terms of worshiping. Uh, I'm not going to get to the lesson today. I'll put that off because I think what we've covered is, is, is so critical. I am, I am humbled today to see this picture of God demanding our reverence and humility and submission as we come before him. This picture of the ark being brought in uh, when it was not brought in the right way, but was brought in irrespective of God's word, and you see the failure uh, and the death. And yet you see the honoring of God when it is brought in the right way, when it's brought in the way God wants us to bring it in, and you see how God lifts it up. And God is saying to the Jew Jewish people, look, this is a new world order. The old days of Saul doing his own thing, running the kingdom the way he wanted, thinking that he was the people's king is over. We don't put the people's king in place. We put God's king in in place. We are directed to live the kind of life that God wants us to live, to, to follow God the way he does. And so if you're looking for blessings in your life, you're looking to be the kind of man that God wants you to be, the first thing that you do is you bow in submission before the throne of God, and you worship him as the creator. You come in with the kind of spirit that he deserves. You recognize the sovereignty and the holiness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Not about me. Not about my laundry list. You're not my hotel concierge. You, God, are holy. The fact that I can come here is incredible, that I'm able to speak and pray and communicate with the God of the universe is unknown anywhere else in the world. There are no people in the world that have this other than Christians. You want to know what separates us from the world? This is it that God has given you the very ability to speak and communicate with him, and he will answer your prayers. He will answer your prayers, and you can take that to the bank. You can take it to the bank, provided 
provided we come to him with the kind of worshipful attitude, the worshipful attitude, Lord, I recognize who you are. I bow to your sovereignty. And that's why when we pray and we ask for healing, we say, but Lord, I ask for healing. Uh, but in your perfect will, Lord, I recognize that in your perfect will, this may not be the best answer. And I bow to you because I'm not the creator. I don't know the answer. I told you that, that when I was uh, in California uh, during Hurricane Irma, uh, and I'm glued to the television set, Weather Channel, watching this bear down on Naples, and my heart is broken because I have so many of my friends here who I know are going to be suffering, who are stuck and can't get out. Uh, and as, and as, as it's bearing down, and now I even got one of the guys in the group to call me about two hours before and said, oh my God, it's coming right to Naples. You need to pray. And, and, and I... And I looked and I saw, oh my, it's right over, going to hit right over the middle of Naples. And I'm praying with my wife. We're praying. And my, here's my prayer. Lord, just move the storm out 20 or 30 miles into the Gulf. <laughs> That's right. It would be the worst possible thing that could happen. <laughs> Moving the storm out 20 to 30 miles out in the Gulf would have inundated Naples by about 10 or 15 feet of water. The entire uh, city of Naples would be flooded past 41, probably into Golden Gate, all right? And here I am stupidly, stupidly praying for the wrong thing. All right? Now, how many times do we stupidly pray for the wrong thing? And we don't even know we're praying for the wrong thing. And why are you praying for the wrong thing? Because you're not God. You got that? You're not God. And so when I pray, I always say, Lord, Lord, but nevertheless in your perfect will. And I know I said it that day. And when it came over the middle of Naples and I'm sitting here going, oh God, there must be some reason. That's right. The reason was God was going to save Naples. He was going to save his people and he was going to demonstrate the power of his sovereignty as he did it. Where the back end of the storm suddenly, did you notice that? The back end of the storm suddenly disappeared. Inexplicably. There's no meteorological answer as to why that happened. It just happened. They can make concoct some kind of phony baloney answer. But I'll tell you what the answer is. Thousands of people praying, God, please intervene, intervene. And so that's the answer as you want to have this kind of powerful prayer life. You want to be able to have this in your life. That no matter what you go through, you immediately communicate to God and he touches you and he gives you peace and he answers your prayers. You see it with David. He came to understand that that's our God. You see it with Jesus when his feet were anointed. And that's the lesson for you to understand today, that, that you need to approach God as your sovereign creator. Hallowed, Lord. Hallowed be thy name. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, they've touched our hearts as we understand exactly who you are and how you are to be worshipped, Lord. Give us greater insights into this. Help us, Lord, to worship you that way for the rest of our lives. Be with our people. Let this, reson this lesson resonate in our heart. Protect our men and bring them back safely next week as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.